for thou hast underwritten every word by thy name. Holy men of old spake as they were moved upon by the Spirit of God. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Sanctify them through thy word, for thy word is truth. Not one jot or one tittle of the law shall pass away till all be fulfilled. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. He asked it of every class and challenged every student with it. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate-level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day, word for word, from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and fully equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. A new series begins with Dr. Mitchell on the question of why study the Bible. Here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. We're coming today with a brief message concerning this question, why should we study the Bible? That question oftentimes is asked, is there a need for us to study the Bible? Why should we give time to the study of the Scriptures? Well, I would say, first of all, because it gives us the revelation of God, the revelation of His purposes to man. Where else can you find it? I'm reminded of a, of a verse in Amos, chapter 8, verse 11, which says, The time shall come when there shall be a famine, not for bread or for water, but a famine for the hearing of the word of God. Sometimes I wonder if that isn't here now. In 1 Samuel, chapter 3, about the second verse, I read, In those days the word of God was precious. That means the Word of God was rare. And I'm wondering today if we're not coming to that time too. But you rule out the Bible, then you have absolutely no revelation of God. You say, well, I find God in creation. Yes, but you don't know what He's like. 
as Romans chapter 1 from verses 18 through 20 declares, uh, that men are without excuse because the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power in Godhead, so they are without excuse. But what is he like? I have to come to the word of God. God has communicated truth to us through his word. If I want to know what God is like, I must go to the Bible. I have talked to men who claim that they believe in God, and I generally ask them the, either one of two questions. What kind of a God do you have? And how do you know he's that kind of a God? Or I may ask the question, if you really believe in God, do you worship him? Certainly as a creature, you ought to worship your creator. And oftentimes the answer is, I don't know how. Isn't it wonderful then that God should reveal himself to us in his word? This is our textbook. This is where God has revealed himself in his word. In fact, I would say this, you rule out the word of God you rule out the Bible, and you have absolutely no revelation concerning the character, the heart, the love, the grace, the compassion of God. That's why I, I oftentimes say, no man, if I may quote from John 1:18, no man hath seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath revealed him, or he hath shown him forth. And, of course, we see this in our Savior. I take another reason why we should study the Bible is because of conditions today. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the first verse, the Apostle Paul is prophesying, and I'm sure that you must agree with me if you know anything at all about the spiritual realities of the day that we've come to this time when Paul says, in the last days... There shall be an apostasy. That is, there shall be a departing from the truth of the word of God. And men shall give themselves over to seducing spirits and to the doctrine of demons. Indeed, I want to say to you, my friend, you rule out the scriptures and you rule in lawlessness. Uh, moral foundations are breaking down today. What for? Why? What's the reason for it? Because we have ruled out the Word of God. I remember some years ago, I used to have a, quite a large high school Bible class Friday afternoons, mostly made up of youngsters from two different high schools. Then one day when I went to my class, I would say 60% of the class didn't show up. The class ran around 150 or more, maybe 200 sometimes. And I found out the kids who were not there that day had come from one of the schools. I also found out that one of the teachers at that school had found out about these youngsters going to a Bible class, and it made it just about impossible for the kids to go to class. About a month after this, I met one of the teachers at that high school on the street, and he stopped me, and he said, Mr. Mitchell, what are we going to do about our young people? I said, what's the matter? He spoke about them going to school with a flask on their hip pocket, somewhere going into drugs and so on. I said, sir, 
when we rule out the Bible out of lives, out of our society, even out of some of our churches. We rule in lawlessness. You may not agree with me, my friend, but it's true. America, Great Britain, these two nations were based on the Word of God. Our own country, in the early days of its history, were God-fearing, Bible-loving people. They went by the Word of, of God. We have thrown the Word of God out, hence the foundations of character have been broken up. In speaking to a high school assembly one time, I asked the principal, what are the morals of these young people? And he smilingly said, well, Mr. Mitchell, they're neither moral nor unmoral, or immoral. They're unmoral. They, have, they don't even think about whether a thing is moral or immoral. They're unmoral. What a need there is for us to get back to the Word of God. It's the divine revelation to men. Do you know why Israel went into captivity? If I may quote from Jeremiah chapter 9, the first three verses where this man with a broken heart said, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes were a fount of tears. I would like to weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Indeed, I'd like to run away from the whole business. Why? because they are not valiant for the truth, and they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, saith the Lord. They were not valiant for the truth. God had revealed to them his person, his character. He had given to them his law. They were the depository for the word of God. And he sent prophet after prophet after prophet, early, rising up early, until late, giving them the word of God, warning them of what would take place if they despised the revelation of God in his word. But they were not valiant for the truth, and they proceeded from evil to evil. Why? And they know not me, saith the Lord. Ignorance of God. And when you rule out the word of God, my friend, you not only rule in lawlessness, but ignorance of spiritual realities ignorance of God, of his person, of his character, of his work. Now, it's true, as you read your Bible, that the Bible makes some claims for itself. For example, in the 138th Psalm, the second verse, in the King James Version, we read, For thou hast exalted thy word above all thy name. If I may give you the Re revision they revised on that, which is, for thou hast underwritten every word by thy name. And you remember Jesus could say in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. Sanctify them, set them apart through thy word, for thy word is truth. And I'm reminded that what the Lord said to the Jews of his day, and I'm quoting from Matthew chapter 5, verse 18, when our Lord said, Not one jot or one tittle of the law shall pass away till all be fulfilled, every detail of it. No guesswork about this. When I think of a Bible that took over 1,500 years to write, and the writers were men of different uh, spheres uh, and levels of society and background, 
kings and peasants, farmers, what have you. God used them. And there's a unity, and there's a continuity through it. And I want to say you and I can't get away from the fact not one jot or one tittle, not one little detail of the Word of God will pass away till everything is fulfilled. Which brings me down to one or two special things. First of all, may I suggest to you that the Word of God, the Bible, the Scriptures, is God-breathed. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, we read, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, or all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, I read that holy men of old spake as they were moved upon by the Spirit of God. It might be well for me to suggest the preceding verses. Peter had said, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter is talking about his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration when he saw Jesus Christ glorified, when his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. And Peter said, We had such a tremendous experience that, uh, you remember, he said to God, Let us make three tabernacles, one for the Lord, one for Moses, one for Elias. And you remember, while he yet spake these words, God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You hear him, never mind Moses or Elijah. Now, that was a wonderful experience. And yet Peter says, We have a more sure word of prophecy to the which we do well to take heed. Something that is more sure, more certain, than even his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what was the more sure word of prophecy? Nothing else but the word of God. And he goes on to say, For holy men were moved upon, borne along by the Spirit of God. The very words they wrote were under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, having said that, it might be well for me to say this, that the Bible is the product of divine activity. The Spirit of God took these men and used them. He didn't change their personalities. He used them to do the job he wanted done. You know, it might be well for me to say, uh, we hear words these days, and it might be well for me to explain what they are. Somebody asks the question, do you believe in the plenary inspiration of Scripture? Well, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, it means that all of it is equally inspired. There are those who believe that some portions of the Bible are inspired of God and some are not. And the plenary inspiration means that the whole Bible is equally inspired. Then we have another word called verbal inspiration. What we mean by that is that these men wrote exactly what God wanted them to write. He used their personalities, he used their gifts, and the Holy Spirit guided them even to the very word they would use. But he did not move out or rule out their personality 
or the gifts that God had given to them. They were not machines. Uh, you can't read these very, even the Old Testament. You can't even you read your New Testament without seeing the personalities of these men. You, for example, you take your New Testament. You think of the Apostle Paul who was the Apostle of Faith. He's a man who was well-cultured, brilliant man, mentally, intellectually, and may I say spiritually. When you come to Peter, Peter's the apostle of hope. He gets right down among believers who are suffering, facing martyrdom. And we all know about John as the apostle of love, but God transformed him. Uh, you remember John at one time was not a very lovable fellow. He was very sectarian. He was very vindictive. You find that, of course, in the gospel through Luke. He was changed, and you can't help but say John was the apostle of love. He was the one who leaned his head upon the Lord's bosom. When you read his writings, you have life and fellowship. Entirely different of Paul. Paul's dealing with standing, the marvelous work of Christ. John is dealing with the experience of the life that's in Christ. God uses these different men. You read Isaiah, you read Jeremiah, you read Ezekiel, Zechariah, all these Old Testament prophets, they're all different. But God used them for one purpose. He gave to them his word, and the Spirit of God uh, moved in upon them. And I say again, he used their personality and their gifts. And the Spirit of God guided them, even to the very words they were to use. And then another word is used oftentimes, the infallible word of God. What do you mean by that? That the Word of God has no mistakes. It contains no mistakes in the original writings. Uh, again, I come back to that verse I quoted a while ago when Jesus said in Matthew 5, not one jot or one tittle will pass away till all be fulfilled. When God gave us a revelation, you can bank upon it, it's going to be a correct infallible word of God. And you can bank on another thing. If God has given to us a revelation of himself and of his purposes and programs, he's going to guard that revelation. Critics have come and critics have gone. Down through the centuries, they've burned the word of God. They've killed his servants. They've ruled the word of God out. It's still here. And when, and I'm going to be very blunt and say, and when our present generation of critics have gone off the scene, this precious word of God will still be with us. And God is always ready to take any open heart that means business with him. God will meet that heart. My friend, we're dealing with a living God. We're dealing with a sovereign God as well as a loving, gracious God. And if God has communicated to us the revelation of his person and his purpose in the earth, his purpose for the nations, his purpose for Israel, his purpose for the church, his purpose for his people in any age, it's high time we believers got down to business and found out what God has to say. We're dealing, we're dealing with God's word. It's very, very authoritative. These men 
spoke with the authority of the living God. Now, I'm well aware that Satan would question the Word of God. This is one of his uh, ways of trying to deceive people. For example, at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, do you know what he said to Eve when Eve said, God has said, if we eat of the fruit of that tree, we shall die. Do you know what he said? Did God say you would die? He immediately puts a question mark in the mind of Eve that God will not keep his word. My friend, the world may pass away. This generation may pass away. But the word of God will never pass away. Let me bank upon that. Yeah. When I think of the arrogancy of man today and the opposition to the word of God, I'm so happy in the fact that we've got a Bible, we've got a revelation from God that's eternal. I see this reverently. It's just as eternal as the living God himself. And no generation on earth is going to be able to destroy the Word of God. As the psalmist says in the 119th Psalm, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven, underwritten by his name, authoritative in every department of one's life. God has given to you and to me his word. My Christian friend, let me just stop here and ask you the question, how much time do you spend in the Word of God? Some of you believers have been Christians for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. What do you know about God's purpose for you? What do you know about God's purpose for the world, for the nations, for the Church of Christ? Would it not be a wonderful thing if you, and I include myself in this, ought to spend more time in the precious, precious Word of God. Now you read it, digest it, meditate upon it, chew the cud. And as we continue in our next study, why we should study the Word of God, I trust the Lord will speak to your heart, as well as to my heart. And the Lord bless you today. King, hear him pleading, for he loves you, my friend. Jesus loves you, my friend, today. Jesus came to earth by a humble birth.
Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. We trust that your hearts have been blessed and encouraged through the study of God's Word. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.